1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hey, welcome to the 346th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patrons Kevin Schumacher, Dave Fairman, and Anthony Ascenda. I'm Matt Enlow,
3: And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have the one, the only... Noah Bayshort. I'm assuming our editor just put his name in where I was going to say the name of our guest.
2: Coincidentally, it's the same name because it's the same person. That's right. We're having editor Noah on the show. He has just wrapped his very first feature film. It's a micro budget feature called Walter Grace and the Submarine that I'm sure we'll talk about more in the future once it's out in the wild. But we thought, boy, wouldn't it be interesting to talk to Noah about making his feature, what he first learned, all of the kind of challenges that all micro budget filmmakers go through. But we know Noah pretty darn well. He was texting us the whole time keeping us in the loop and we've been working with him for a long time now so I thought oh this will be a the perfect opportunity to talk to someone who we have a relationship with and a little bit more insight on their process and their personality.
3: Yeah, and he very much like embodied and potentially was even inspired by the title of our podcast, just shoot it, which I've been thinking a lot about kind of the last few days, the origin of our podcast was about encouraging people to go film things and not wait for permission. And pretty much every success story we have is kind of mm-hmm. based on that idea of like, Hey, you got a camera, you got something to put in front of it, like film it, edit it, put it out in the world. And I do think you and I sometimes like a little bit of paralysis every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. we aren't as close to the non-business side of it as we were maybe when we started this podcast, but uh, it's awesome that people still get that out of this podcast. And, and I'm not trying to take credit for, for the motivation for Noah or anything. He he actually listens to a lot of filmmaking podcasts and probably gets motivation from all pretty persistent on his own. Sorry, Kroll, All the credit is ours. It's just kind of awesome where he's like, hey, there's going to be two weeks where I can't edit the podcast and I'm making a movie. And, you know, I mean... He had, he did his crowdfunding and we talked a little bit about that. It's fun. I feel like he really let us in on the things he learned, the difficulties, mm-hmm. the successes. It made me excited for him mm-hmm. um, and yeah. made me miss those days of just like taking some actors to a place and shooting some scenes and trying things out and rehearsing. And one of the things he talked about is how he would do scenes and they would come out better than like he expected them to, you know, mm-hmm. he'd forget yeah. that he wrote them. and. You know, I think when you work in like very planned out, storyboarded, agency approved, casting approved worlds, like, you know, we, we get some pleasant surprises, but we're not like, oh, wow, where did that come from? Yeah, it's <laughs> you know?
2: not alive in quite the same way. Or maybe I think perhaps we work to make things come alive earlier in the process so that we can essentially get that aliveness approved in advance of shooting it. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's something really magical about not only seeing things kind of come together before your very eyes, but also the buck stopping with you, you being the decision maker, you mm -hmm. saying, oh, this is good or this isn't good. Or, and I'm going to give you a little bit of shit about this. You're in the middle of shooting a bunch of great things that I'm very excited for you about and I'm very happy for you. But a few weeks ago... You weren't mm-hmm. feeling as hot. You know, the, the work was dry. You were feeling bad. And yeah. you said to me, I don't know, maybe I should dip into my savings and shoot something myself. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yes, Oren, go do it. And then
3: I literally, I think the next morning you had booked a job. <laughs> I think truly it was like that quickly that, it, that things changed for you. Yeah. Well, I'm always like, I told this a million times but I heard this interview with this director that, You know, every time he is not getting work, he goes and shoots something and it gets him
0: a bunch of new work. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And so like the answer to all of our problems is Mm -hmm. what we talk about every week. But even we sometimes have a hard time remembering and focusing and not losing sight of the fact that whether we're being hired to shoot something or we're shooting something for ourselves, like we can shoot something regardless. So.
2: Anyhow, as a final thought,
3: Mm -hmm. having
2: seen some stills from Noah's piece and like like even like a little bit of scene work, it's so inspiring to be reminded what you can do with just a camera and a handful of awesome people. The difference between what images we were able to produce when we were Noah's age and now it's just like, dang, you can shoot a movie for that budget. It's awesome. It's so inspiring. So hopefully you all are as inspired as we are. It's a really fun conversation. We dig in deep. Like I said, we'll do follow-up conversations. I'm sure we'll, we'll keep people updated as things evolve with the project. This was really just a special opportunity for us to talk to micro-budget filmmaker that we know super well. So,
3: so before we talk to Noah about micro-budgets, we're going to talk about podcast budgets. Even smaller. If you can imagine a project even smaller. smaller budgetarily than a micro budget feature it's a micro budget podcast but anyway it it is the thing that keeps this podcast alive it's what lets us pay noah therefore finances his movie so if you want to help noah that's putting out a feature soon or if you just enjoy what you hear on the podcast then go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod and you can give us a dollar two dollars if you give us fifteen dollars apparently twenty dollars $20 now if you give us $20 uh, I will mail you a hat personally I mailed all the $15 hats out so patreon.com slash just shoot a pod really appreciate it awesome well without any further delay here's a message from our sponsor and then
2: a conversation with editor Noah Bayshore and director filmmaker about his new film Walter Grace and the Submarine
0: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
3: Yo, we're here with Noah Bayshore. Welcome, Noah. How do you spell your last name? It's controversial.
4: It's a a -A B-A-S-H-O-R-E. But I, for some reason, decided to put it on my handles, like, with a Y so people knew how to pronounce it or whatever.
2: So you didn't get called Bashore. Noah, besides being an accomplished filmmaker, also edits the show. So normally, at this point in the episode, I would say, hey, Noah, cut out all of the name banter. <laughs> with the, how to pronounce.
1: But look, I'm
3: trying to plug Noah's tiktok instagram he's got that, doing all these awesome things
2: all the awesome plugs that's true I, i'm giving you a hard time and so
3: i think you need to know how to spell bayshore
2: your warm-up banter is is always your warm-up banter is always about their name
3: your warm-up banter is always telling me that my warm-up banter is always about the name and it's really only like claire scanlon i didn't talk about her name noah <laughs> It depends
4: on the day. It's it's okay. It's always it's it's always fun to listen to it. Um, It's a great time. It's with some frequency, though.
3: This is like literally if two parents are having an argument and they
2: ask their kids, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. You pick who gets. Did he Noah?
4: (laughs) Don't ask the boy to take sides. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, It's not. It's not. Not frequent. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not not frequent. All I heard
3: is not frequent.
2: All right. Anyway. Noah, you've just wrapped your first feature film, Walter Grace and the Submarine. It's a coming-of-age, micro-budget indie feature, right? You shot in your hometown. You did the thing, right? You crowdfunded on Seed&Spark. Not a ton of money, but enough to make a movie. The TikToks all seemed like you were having the time of your life.
3: TikToks of the the behind-the-scenes. Is what you're
2: time on, right? Yeah, yeah. The TikToks are the behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Noah's very active on TikTok. He's giving people a glimpse into the filmmaker lifestyle at Noah Bayshore with a Y. Anyway, so Noah, give us just the log line real quick. Tell us what your film's about.
4: Basically, Walter Grace and the Submarine is a, like you said, like a coming of age kind of romantic comedy. It's about these two people who have a right person wrong time kind of situation and they both have like a lot of religious trauma so it's just kind of like a, two people hanging out in their apartments for like a couple weeks and it's like like a happy sad kind of thing we basically were just trying to do some version of before sunrise but like gen z and in our hometown basically mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. yeah some more
4: tie dye is what you're saying
2: yeah yeah
3: how did you get to before sunrise because i feel like like I barely caught that film, like age-wise, like it's a really old reference, right?
4: I don't, I don't know. Like I don't remember where I I, I found it, but I've always been like a softie who digs romantic movies. My sister, when I was twelve, showed me Five Hundred Days of Summer, and like ruined your life. Yeah, ruined my life. You know, like uh, Elizabeth Town, like all these different, like you know, kind of like <laughs> indie, like you know, happy sad kind of quirky, you know, mm-hmm. romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is all I have to do. They brainwashed me on uh Gilmore Girls, and that's all I cool. watched when I was like <laughs> a little kid. So it's like, of course, I wound up making a rom com for like my first feature.
3: How cool is it to have an older sibling that like teaches you what to like? You mm-hmm. know, I'm like the oldest.
4: I'm actually one of six kids, so I have uh, two older sisters, and they were full on like, "Hey, listen to this band, L- watch this movie, watch Gilmore Girls all the time."
3: So yeah, <laughs> I'm curious how you came up with the amount of money that you wanted to raise for your film.
4: Uh I'm terrible with like math and numbers. So I roped in my buddy Jillian Noonan. Uh she produced the movie and like was kind of she was basically in charge of all like the numbery, spreadsheety, like money stuff, just cause I was good at English when I was a kid, not good at math, still carrying on with that. And she kind of was, you know, in charge of that. And we just kind of worked in tandem of like her asking me things about the script and like locations and stuff like mm-hmm. that, or you know props and stuff like we we wound up having to buy a couch for a scene and like i bought it myself just because we didn't have it in the budget but things like that but basically we just kind of worked in tandem and she was kind of in charge of like the money stuff so a lot of like phone calls and like emails and texts and just like oh what do you think of this and in
2: terms of money spent though
4: yeah 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 yeah
2: like you're not like in the weeds on payroll and things like that like this is kind of like literally you're buying the things that you need to put in front of the camera and that's about it. And then feeding people. Is that accurate?
4: Basically. Yeah. So like not to go into too thick of it, but like basically the only people on set that were like paid were our two talent and a couple other people who were like the folks that were there the entire time. And then Mm -hmm. the rest of the people were just like local, like film school alumni buddies who were just like down to come help out when they could. Cause like everybody's like, you know, making ends meet and stuff like that. So it was just, like, yeah, those yeah. were the specific chunks that we had to nail down for the budget, to make sure, like, the two actors are going to be able to feed themselves and stuff like that. But even, like, sure. what we paid them wasn't, like, you know, amazing. It's just, like, what they needed to, like, help get by. And then they were just stoked right. to, like, help make the movie, basically.
3: Was it SAG?
4: No. Yeah, no.
3: Cool. Well, how'd you find your actors? I imagine, to me, when you're writing a movie like this, like, micro-budget, And it's probably a lot of it is coming out of like your own experiences and your heart. You have to cast someone to kind of play a version of you. Yeah, basically. Right?
4: Yeah. So I went into like a bunch of different like Michigan and Chicago Facebook groups for actors and like filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. made the same post a bunch of times with like reference photos and just like a little Mm -hmm. blurb of what the movie was. And I was like, hey, if you like the sound of it, DM me. And then a shit ton of people DM'd me. And like...
3: What's a shit ton? Like a
4: thousand or like a hundred? like 20 plus basically it was enough for like an anxious mm-hmm. person to be like oh this is a
0: bad idea
2: i love that that's great yeah i think honestly not a bad idea pretty good idea at least you got an actor yeah for sure it worked out what do you wish you had done like in retrospect like what would be the quote-unquote smart thing to do
4: um probably in retrospect now like with the help of like our two awesome actors that we got like reaching out directly probably to these like different like I don't know what the right word, like casting agencies or whatever, mm-hmm. like people who mm-hmm. like represent mm-hmm. like like a clump of actors, like because there, there's like a fair amount in Chicago and just basically going directly to these like sites and like just like oh, look oh, at so
2: wait, so your, your actors are from Chicago?
4: Yeah, so uh, Jesse Carl, who plays Grace, she's from Michigan, but she's based in Chicago. And Kyle's also based in Chicago too. Like they're genuinely two of the most professional and hardworking, but also like extremely funny and smart people I've ever met. And it was just super cool to make this movie with them. Kyle was the first one to reach out about the script and he read it and immediately got it. And that was like really cool. And as he was reading it, he was like, oh, Grace is my friend, Jesse, to a T. Uh, she would love this. Can I send it to her? And I was like, oh, hell yeah, that sounds cool. And they, they both just super dug it. And it was awesome. They were actually uh, roommates when I cast them. Casting out of Chicago's awesome. It's like the
2: best. Los Angeles is great. New York is great. Chicago is special in that like, you know, it's a theater town. So you get a lot of people with really great training who maybe already work a side job that's a little flexible, you know, like and so you can find really, really great talent out of Chicago for sure.
4: Yeah, they crushed it. When we're on set, like I would be like, oh man, like I forgot that I wrote that or whatever or like, was this good? But then like there'd be scenes where it's like a monologue type of thing. And I just forgot that I wrote it and they just would like do the scene and just crush it because they're like theater trained people who have done features and commercials and stuff. And they're just genuinely good. Not in like a, you know, like your buddy who knows how to do a camera helping you out on your student film or whatever. Like these two are just like killing it. And I'm truly like Chicago actors, man. Like they're, they, they got it. Like it's pretty cool. We met up and like got coffee after like we had like DM back and forth and I, They'd already read the script and they're like gushing about it, and they hadn't even sent in their uh, tapes yet. But I just wanted to, like meet them because they seem like cool people. The reason I was like kind of leaning towards them specifically because they're roommates is because like I feel like with these kinds of movies, if you don't buy that these two people are like stoked to be around each other or like are actually like getting along or joking around or being cutesy, like you're you're screwed. Like it's like no one's gonna believe it. It's just gonna mm-hmm. come across as like inauthentic or like amateur. You know all that stuff.
2: So you're basically stealing. Uh, rehearsal time. Their lives were rehearsal so that you could, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
4: we, we did, we'd have like like a little bit of rehearsal time because, like, you know, they're, they're doing jobs to make sure that they can, you know, pay the bills and like eat and stuff. Mm -hmm. But we hopped on like three or four, uh, FaceTime calls for like three or four hours throughout the week prior to shooting. And we just went through the whole movie and just like talked about everything and like went through like core scenes that we were like, you know, they had questions about or we just like talked about and stuff like that. And, Um, It was just it was just really exciting because like, you know, working on student projects and stuff like that, it's just like, oh, this isn't as good as it could be or whatever. But like you have these like big ideas, but then working with people who are like truly good at what they do and like care like a bunch and like you can see that they like what you wrote and then they're like super into it. It's just like the coolest feeling ever. And like I yeah just eternally grateful to those two for hopping on and stuff. But yeah,
2: I think there is a teachable lesson out of all of this. And that's that. You know, you should be willing to find the best actors you can relative to where you are, right? Like you went to a different state to get your actors. And I think that it would be easy to cast your buddies. That's not necessarily a bad plan. If you're Richard Linklater and your buddy is Ethan Hawke, then maybe that's a perfect plan. Maybe then you get to make movies with him for the rest of your life. But sometimes it's like the easy path. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, okay, well, I can just, this person's here and they're down to do it. You really got to
3: know what a good actor is. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think Jeremy Salnier cast Macon Blair mm-hmm. and Blue Ruin, they were buddies. You need to know what good acting is. And if none of your buddies are incredible actors, you know, it's something, a lot of people don't know what good actor is until they work with really good actors. Yeah. Yeah. If you're saying like these things you wrote that you're like, not even sure if you like them. You see these actors say them and you're like, oh, damn, like, that is good. <laughs>
4: oh, yeah, this is kind of, this is all right. We're doing good, yeah, yeah. you know? We we actually did have, like, one person who was a buddy who hopped on and was in it, it was only in, like, one short scene because mm-hmm. he is really good at playing, like, stoner characters. He has a very, like, distinguishable, like, cool voice. My friend, Zach Noonan, did this TV pilot spec and he let me watch it and Hugh was in it and he played a stoner character and it was when I was trying to figure out, like, who's going to play this guy? And Hugh was in the, in the spec and I was like, yeah. No, it it must be Hugh. It can not. It can't be anyone else but Hugh. It was great.
2: It's okay yeah. to cast your friends. So I, I also, yeah, d- he actually
3: didn't know he was in. That's the movie. how
2: <laughs> he was Danny there. McBride. Danny McBride broke um, because he was like a writer director who was friends with David Gordon Green. They went to college together, and so they kept putting him in the movies. And that's how he became an actor,
4: yeah, my friend Hugh. He plays the character his his character is called the Dude, and that's all we called him he just mm-hmm. he's like a joke character who's like in his underwear for like a minute, and it's like mm. just this thing to show how like sad of a situation she's in and he like crushed it. he was like a one hit wonder, and everyone was like cheering him on and stuff. He's not like a professional actor he just he just he just got it, and it's just Hugh it's just Hugh being Hugh and we loved it
2: i I do love like a character actor who knows their their purpose in a scene every once in a while an actor will just be like no yeah make me look more pathetic i get it let's go like (laughs) i want to dig in a little bit about production because i'm curious talk to us very quickly about crew size and then any happy accidents and any things you wish you had changed right because i imagine you mentioned it's like mostly a volunteer team and it's a
3: two-week shoot right
4: yeah, 14 days, and then we had, like, one one Sunday off, basically. Yeah. I measured it by
0: how many
3: episodes you didn't have time to edit. Just <laughs> two.
2: Which is yeah. two, yeah. Um, so you had one day off. That's a sprint. That's a lot.
4: Yeah, it was it was kind of wild, but yeah, Art, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Would you keep this, the schedule that vigorous?
4: I think I would for a project of this size and, like, a story of this size. Because, like, it was all basically, like, in apartments. Uh, mm-hmm. And random spots downtown that weren't like audio centric mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like most of the talking bits were just like them in like a living room or in a bedroom where we like you know set decorated it to look really pretty and stuff and like we you know had the time to work in the space uh if it was like a big bigger project there would be no way at least just like for you know where we're at money wise and like crew wise and experience wise i think like mm-hmm. a larger scale like action thing or something else in that short of a span, I think would just it wouldn't have been good. But it was the intention to have it be this like extremely like dinky, actionable movie as like a first go round to learn from. Happy accidents-wise, there's just like a bunch of random little things that happened while we were out and about shooting in the city where, you know, in the moment it was like, yeah, we got it. There's nothing else we could do after that to replicate something like that. Like lighting or, you know, I don't know, just like little things. Uh, uh, it's hard to explain, but just uh, stuff like that was just really exciting.
2: So let's talk then crew size. Because, um, uh, you know, I, those TikToks, it looked like, a, you know, it felt like a, like Squaresville, my web series. And I was like, oh, yeah, like it's a like a nice party. Everybody's here to have a good time and, and make some stuff together. But then you had department heads and things. What, tell us about how many how many full time people were you and then what floaters did you have?
4: Yeah, so uh, full-time people, it was me and my producer, Jillian Noonan, and our production designer slash makeup dude, Zach Thomas, and then our cinematographer, Rich Tran, our audio boy, Nathan Mitchell, and Allie Riley, who wore a bunch of different hats throughout the production. They were all there basically the entire time.
2: Hair and makeup slash wardrobe.
3: Slash production
2: designer, he yeah. Oh, slash production Make- designer. Makeup
4: slash production designer. He killed it. He like held that ship down. It was awesome.
2: And just as a blanket statement everyone on your crew killed it they're all great noah noah loves you yeah.
4: oh yeah absolutely
3: so so now you don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah. it don't tell them anymore you like them
4: okay? <laughs> yeah I, I won't be specific but uh, yeah, yeah, no, i think okay. everybody is a big fan of zach and but anyways yeah, yeah. sorry uh, that, that's but okay. That's okay. basically folks like that were there the entire time and then we had a lot of people bumping in and out from like detroit and stuff and then just like local people in grand rapids who were like They had a day and they were just like, they just came up and and helped out or they would come for like three days and then they they would Mm -hmm. have to go work their food job and then they would come back like the weekend or something. Our script supervisors were roommates and then they would just like trade off every other day, basically. Stuff like that.
3: You only cast and hire (laughs) roommates. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, So to recap, full time people, you've got your producer. You've got a a kind of swing art and wardrobe and makeup person. Did you say a sound person as well?
4: Also a sound person. Yeah, we had a, and, a sound person full time. Yeah,
2: And then you yeah. and that that's the core team. And then everyone else is kind of swinging in and out.
4: Yeah, I think like around like max on like the biggest day, we might have had like 20 people max. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then like other days, it, it would just be like, maybe like 10 or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah.
2: And so is your producer acting as like an AD? Are they like getting lunch ready? Like their kind of logistics and your kind of their back of house, your front of house? Is that how it's split up basically?
4: Yeah, like a lot of different people wore like a lot of different hats at certain points. But Jillian was like doing food prep, like getting everybody like lunch and dinner all the time. And then like depending on the day, like being the AD and and things like that.
2: We've got the headcount now. I'm curious, looking back, what would you have changed about that? build
3: i'm always curious about like you know i think there's this kind of thing at least in la that like you should pay the sound person like if you're gonna pay one person on set that's a person like i'm curious where are the places where you're like oh we should have paid someone to be dedicated to this
2: yeah next time i really i have to have x
4: i think for sure next time like giving the sound department more support and like building that out so that they get paid more or just to have like more of like a solid team that wasn't necessarily like one dude the whole time and like a couple dudes coming in when they could just like trying to build that side out of it like we had like a good like like audio setup because uh my sound design professor at uh my art school that i went to he lent us his full like kit and stuff so we were able to record in like 32 bit and stuff like that.
2: Shout out to your sound professor. That's
4: really dope. That's Mike Dollar dope. is like one of the greatest people I've ever met in my entire life. And he'd like saved
3: our movie. So that was, yeah, that is cool. money. You know what I mean? Yeah, honestly.
4: Uh, but yeah, so I'd say like next time for sure that, and just, uh, where our struggles came from was not as much pre-production as we could have done where that came from was, is just, we're a bunch of young people working like food jobs. And like we did as much as we thought we possibly could kind of thing uh and like you know some people Mm -hmm. like you know are working at production companies and are like you know working day to day and like scheduling shoots and working shoots and stuff like that but i think for the next one it's like even more so leading into pre-production as much as we can just because like all the confusion or misunderstandings just came from like a lack of like you know pre-production but everybody's just like at this stage where like we're all just trying to make ends meet and like we're not really like there yet like we're you know like a skip and a hopping away from, like, you know, doing this for a living where we could, like, you know, have the sit downs and stuff. But
2: yeah, so so let's dig in on that a little bit because, Noah, I think you had texted with us a little bit during production about that aspect of, of the whole yeah. process, right? Talk to us about what broke down. T- talk to us about, I'm trying to find, like, um, again the nuggets the the lessons that people can extrapolate out right because it's certainly like everyone always wants more pre-production time yeah right boy you're giving me flashbacks to like <laughs> my early days with squaresville which oft- oftentimes i think back on how little i knew and i'm a little impressed that it actually worked yeah do you know what i mean like you you realize you don't know what you don't know and then you're like oh my god like there were so many opportunities where things could have gone sideways so poorly that we just never would have finished like it was a lot of luck that we (laughs) we got there right which my point being just like I I understand and empathize and I think our listeners will as well so talk to us about like specifically what broke down as a result of that lack of time in pre-production like as a for instance it's like oh department heads aren't aware of things that have changed or shifts that sort of stuff.
4: The locations were basically like public spaces or like apartments that our friends are like letting us use to to shoot and stuff. Grand Rapids has like a lot of like older buildings that were made uh in old-timey times where like the walls are paper thin and you can mm-hmm. hear every car passing outside. So, uh like audio was just like very stressful on days like that where like if we were to reapproach pre-production, if we had a bigger budget or if we had more conversations or more time to talk about where are we shooting, going to these places and like feeling mm-hmm. out like what is the audio situation here? You know, cars going by like, you know, maybe not shoot at the house that's across the street from an elementary school, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this one, like we were just really relying on like, what do we have access to? Let's do that. And with that came like very, right. very small, like bedrooms where it's like mm-hmm. maybe like 20 minutes of the movie takes place in the bedroom.
2: Are you saying that you guys didn't have time to scout? That like you were walking into sets fresh and people were just kind of had to deal with it, basically.
3: Or maybe you didn't think about sound when you were scouting. You just knew like you saw photos of your friend's right. place and you're like, oh, cool, let's go shoot. In here. Oh,
2: this place is great and it's free and like it's perfect for the character. But your sound person didn't get to have their ears on the space, for instance.
4: Yeah, like it was kind of like a surprise for certain people to to show up and have it be maybe like a smaller space than like we had anticipated Mm -hmm. because like one of the spots I hadn't been to because uh, my friend had just moved in there and like the the character in the movie is like moving into a house. So we're like, oh, we'll lean into it because this is an empty apartment anyways. Let's go for it. With that comes like, oh, not the biggest layout as much as we thought it was going to be kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. so it was a lot of like working with it on the day in certain days it was like hectic with like the first day that we were there but as we got accustomed to the, the spot it became better and we got into a flow mm-hmm. of it but uh i think just the stresses came from like like a lack of scouting And did a, you have a shot list so we did have a shot list i shot listed the entire movie but with that came like showing up to these different spots and like realizing like oh this shot idea that we had we basically have to throw it out entirely and find something different depending on like the lighting mm-hmm. conditions of the room or how big the room is or how it looks and stuff like that and basically redesign the entire scene from the top down uh all the time
2: well and you know Noah, uh it's so funny like i said we talked a little bit about this offline before having this recording and you, basically everything you're saying certainly i think oran and i relate to from our early days and also right now right like I love, love, love my sound guys. Some of them are my very best friends. And they're always like, dude, you, you picked a spot right under the airport or whatever. And I think the difference between lower budget and higher budget, yeah, you get some more prep time or whatever. And you maybe you have like a proper tech scout where you get your your department heads kind of can get ahead of these potential problems. But it's really what it really boils down to is that with low budget, your plan has fewer contingencies if things aren't perfect if the conditions aren't exactly what you're hoping for right like with a more bigger budget you could record some of that audio and and post you could loop some of it in or you could supplement some of the light that that natural light that keeps shifting or whatever if everything goes perfectly then you kind of can leave all of that stuff on the truck but you have to have a truck with the stuff if you have to make sure that you make your day because you've got a movie star that's costing you two hundred thousand dollars a day or whatever, it's like you make sure that you have all the stuff you need just in case, basically.
3: I guess like my point of view is almost like the exact opposite of that, which is uh, welcome to just shoot it,
4: <laughs> dads. Dads, don't fight.
2: <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, that's that's the point. That's the dynamic. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we love it. We love it. Which is that yeah, yeah, yeah. on the low budget film like what makes it easier and what, why you have some of these great low budget films is because of all the pivoting, you know, you come in and you're like mm-hmm. the windows sure. over here, the sun's over here. And we're supposed to be here in the morning, but now we're in the afternoon. You know what? Let's just flip the whole thing. And you know, she, how she says she's going to walk out the door. Well, let's just have her walk into the shower, you know, because, and, and yeah. you can do that because you're, you, you make the call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can be opportunistic. On
2: literally. I had, I had slug lines that said interior somewhere. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs>
3: somewhere cafe
4: (laughs) i don't know like like i'll find a good spot yeah you know like (laughs) that's how it was like every single day like every single day and certain folks like had trouble with it understandably because you know certain film schools like run it in a very like structured way where like this is our shot list we're Mm -hmm. getting this to a t but then like that like was not it on this project like at all like it was like constantly that like of like flipping rooms or like a scene that was constructed or written to try to like, try to be like the marriage story, final fight or whatever, where they're going into different parts of the apartment. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, we'll just do the whole thing in the living room mm-hmm. and on the couch. And like, that's all it needs to be. And, but it, it was like constantly adapting, constantly like making tweaks like that.
3: Yeah. To me, the hard yeah. part yeah. about the low budget kind of indie film is that, you just cannot delegate anything, you know? Yeah. If you, your location fell through, you, you don't have like three people that are going to go find other locations. You have to mm-hmm. just yeah. call like between shots, like be texting people, be calling, be Google mapping.
4: Yeah. Like our, uh, we, one of the scenes is like a date scene where they're at a coffee shop and like that location fell through and I work at a coffee shop. So I was like, Hey, my boss, uh, mm-hmm. will you work. help us? And she was like,
2: The circus is coming. Yeah,
4: exactly. And she was like totally down. So like, you know, it was a lot of that too, like where I had to like figure it out and like find different spots to Mm -hmm. like, you know, make it, you know, the little like toy block thing where you're putting the square in the circle. It was like a lot of stuff like that.
3: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to focus on like the shot and the lighting and the acting and that when you're like, okay, uh, she has a two minute break. She can call me on and I have to answer this or else we're not going to have this next location. Yeah. Um, And, and you're just like the buck stops with you, which is like not always, a great thing like you mentioned like oh, i, I bought this couch or i bought this you texted us or like i just bought this a uh, fish tank you know and it's yeah. like you have to figure out what car to put it in and like where to get the water oh, yeah. and like mm-hmm. yeah all those things yeah. that as a director you already have so many other things to worry about so to me it's like what makes it easier is the the pivoting and opportunism of being the boss but what makes it harder is just the responsibility of everything. And at some point you do give up. You're like, yeah, this would be way better if like we didn't have a white sheet on this bed, if it was a brown Mm -hmm. sheet, but we just don't have time. So let's just shoot it. Yeah. Live with it.
2: Yeah. There's a part of me that's like a little nostalgic for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like there is magic in the buck stopping with you. It's, it's, it's all on your shoulders. And like, there are going to be things that you're going to be so bummed about. And there are going to be things that, you know, later on in your career, you're going to be like, God, I wish I could just call my boss and shoot at this coffee yeah. shop, and, and that my crew was four people instead of a hundred or whatever.
3: You know, like the, the there's a there's a romance to it for sure. Yeah, there's something about that's why there's a lot of like lifestyle filmmakers that even do like bigger budget things and work with brands and stuff, and they have just this a totally different type of filmmaking than mm-hmm. I think Matt and I do um, because they are. They're just finding opportunities and shooting a lot, you know, where we're like trying to look at the script and figure out, well, which shot tells the story best? Not that they're not doing that, but we are being like hyper specific and they're not. I think maybe what we're getting at is that, like, if there were other stakeholders who have different
2: priorities, then you have to. And this maybe relates to your your point about proof production and communication, Noah. Um there's always different stakeholders, unless you're literally the only person making the movie, whether it's your DP or your, your production designer or your producer or whomever. But the more people who have to weigh in on a decision, the harder it is to be nimble. Yeah. Right. And so when you've got a legal team and you've got a client and you've got an agency. You kind of just need to, like, show them the storyboard so that they can say, yes, this is a Legal team is okay with Oren saying that this cat food tastes just like people food, even though you know we'll put a right. disclaimer that you're not supposed to eat cat food And that's food or the whatever, extreme you know? version,
3: but even a showrunner or a studio yeah. or a movie, or even if someone gave you $100,000 to make your movie, but they, mm-hmm. you know, want their kid to star in it or whatever, you know, like they are yeah. starting to make these yeah. creative decisions for you that are changing things. So. Yeah. I, I guess I know we have to wrap up soon, but, um, my last question was going to be about uh, like, now that you've made this certain type of movie, the first movie I made was it had started deaf actor and there were a lot of deaf characters and they talked in sign language a lot. And it was a very quiet movie. And I was like, my next movie just has to be super loud. Like I just want nonstop wall to wall dialogue. Like just want to do the opposite, you know, like what's your, now that you've made this movie, like, like, what are you imagining for your next movie? What's like the next dream project, or is there a next movie? Do you still are you, you still want to direct, and are you still enjoying it?
4: No, and and that's a fair question because like I I was texting y'all about it. Like, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can ever do this again. I'm not good at this or whatever. But you know, like y'all were saying, like, eh, it's how it is. Uh, And I really I really needed that, so that was cool that y'all said that. But uh, related to the the next one, and then like just the communication stuff over the past couple of years. Like I like through like reading and like TED talks and other stuff. Like I kind of found out that i'm like on the autism spectrum and like part of that is like just like struggling in life to like communicate or like understand you know communication and stuff like that and then being the director where like that's all it is is like you know Mm -hmm. so like i think part of that is like me having to learn more about myself and, and stuff like that and like be a better person and also a director and like you know be nice to myself and you know all these other things but well, and I think
2: also though, Noah, some of that's just experience with like understanding how the dominoes fall. You kind of need to make the mistake of realizing, ah, I should have told this person yeah. this thing or like, oh, as a result of this decision, they're going to need a little bit yeah. more time to compensate or whatever. Like that's just stuff that it's you kind of, of you, inter- you internalize. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And, and I think that when you're doing everything yourself, Not everything yourself, but like when it's a small team, you have much more intimate relationships with the people who are making the thing with you and also the way in which they are affected by your decisions. And so not only does it hurt a little bit more when things don't go well, um, but you're you just you're aware of the ramifications of all of that stuff. And so that's why I think when people are like super, super big and famous and stuff it's easy to just kind of make a decision and then for a bunch of other people that they don't really have a ton of contact with to just suffer through it. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah, but it's just like leading into that where, uh, you know, with those relationships, like building that out and just being more communicative and and stuff like that. And just so there is that more trust and trying to build that out where I'm at, like in Grand Rapids and stuff like that, where I think we had talked about like how, you know, it makes sense, like why certain filmmakers like have the same crew of people come back every time because there's just, a level of like trust and communication that like you just have mm-hmm. over time. Uh, um, but just with the, with the, the spectrum thing, just like learning more about myself and stuff like that, the, the next movie, just to loop back to what Oren was asking, I think like this kind of level or like size or of like a story is what I kind of just want to stick with for the foreseeable future. Just cause like, I don't feel like I have like an action movie in me or I don't feel like I have a horror movie in me. So it's just like, all I want to do right now is just do these like cute, like kind of, you know, slice of life stuff. So the the next one that I'm thinking is just like a, it's like a road trip movie about a brother and sister who decide that they're going to punch their older brother in the face because mm-hmm. like he bullied them when they were younger. So they're, they're just going to drive across Michigan to find him and punch him. It's a movie about like masking autistic adults who don't know what's going on. And throughout the course of the movie, it's like them realizing, oh, this is what's going on. And it's like, they have like a mm-hmm, special mm-hmm. interest in like cryptids. So, Uh, The movie is called uh, Dog Man because like the Michigan Dog Man and it's like in the story and stuff.
2: Oh, I'm not familiar with the Michigan Dog Man.
4: Oh, yeah. It's a whole thing. No, yeah. Basically, like forever ago, these like workers in the woods thought they saw like a werewolf or something and just over Mm. for forever, it just blossomed into like the Michigan Dog Man where like once every 10 years on a year that ends in a seven, the Dog Man will return to Michigan and you'll hear him in the woods just screaming because the Dog Man. Yeah. The dog yeah, it's man. the dog man. Yeah, dog uh, man. but basically that uh character, that mythological local thing is is a part of the movie. And it's just about like these siblings who don't know how to talk to each other, learning to how to talk to each other mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to fix their weird little family.
2: Yeah, it's a puffy chair plus uh a uh, dog man.
4: Exactly. It's the puffy. Yeah. So like my... Mount Rushmore of like filmmakers currently is the Duplass brothers, Cooper Rafe and Jim Cummings and Mike Mills. And like, that's kind of like my wheelhouse right now. We've had one of them on the podcast.
3: Solid group of people for sure. So Dogman.
4: you know, I'm still working on it. It's, you know, and I haven't even finished editing this current one, but it's like another like super dinky, like character driven not a high concept movie that like is like actionable and like the money would just go towards like licensing music from like a specific indie artist and stuff like that.
2: That's cool. Rock and roll Noah. Well, keep us posted. I'm sure you will. Let us know how editing goes. And if you have any other updates of nuggets, I want to hear after you've edited things or once you're in it, you'd be like, dang, if only I had a script supervisor or ADR is actually really easy and I'm not that worried about it. You know, they can be positive. Ideally, they're positive. I keep thinking of Oren's advice of just like go shoot pickup shots. I think going to be really, really helpful for you. Especially, what did you guys
3: shoot on? You shoot on Sony?
4: Yeah, we shot on the Sony FX6 and we used uh, Canon FD lenses for the entire thing. And then I have or had Blackmagic that I'd shot like a bunch of B-roll of the city and stuff.
2: I would say as you're editing... Drop in little cards or whatever, or even pick up shots. That's my, where my gut is in terms of uh, all of that. Hell and, yeah. Uh, is solid Orrin Kaplan advice.
3: Can I tell you the one thing I did learn from my crew? Because, you know, we're talking about communication and how, I mean, I think being on the spectrum, we're not like everyone mm-hmm. has like communication issues with their crew. And like the biggest thing I learned from my first feature, even though I directed like a bunch of stuff until then or before then, was just like you can't expect everyone else to care about your movie as much as you care about it. You can be like your key grip, you know, cause you have a bigger day and you have to rig some things that day and your key grip didn't read the script. You can't be like frustrated by that. You know, you got to be like, well, what's an it name for were? her for yeah. him? Yeah. yeah. is not the same as for you. And kind of, that was like my big lesson from the, and so you do have to communicate some things that maybe are so obvious for anyone that's read the script or anyone that even Mm -hmm. knows the log line, you know, Mm -hmm. but you got to make sure people know like, Hey, you know, she is like the dark character. So always backlight her. You know, I, I know Mm -hmm. it's in the script. I know it's in this thing and I know it's in that book and the Bible and the references, but just telling you, because if, if it's important, you got to tell people.
2: I'll second that. And yes. And it, I would say that every project henceforth for you, Noah, they will care less than the like this one. <laughs> you know? Truly, truly, right? Yeah. Like, know.
3: Not the like, actors or, or the DP even.
2: Me, but. M- maybe. I don't know. Like, who, like, that's a bit of a toss-up, but, like, to be young and to, like, be on this adventure and for your dreams to be coming true, it gets better in certain ways, but there's a reason I'm feeling so nostalgic and romantic about this film, Noah, and it's because, like, there's that camp feeling is really special is really, really special. And like in a certain sense, you chase it forever
4: on the best days. It did. It did feel like that. And that's like, you know, but
3: yeah, on the worst days, it was the gates of hell.
4: <laughs> yeah. On the worst days, yeah. uh, editor Noah was, was crying in, in other rooms while everyone was doing stuff. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and having agree. to save those tears to, yeah. um, to feed the crew.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It was like, uh, the cloudy with the of meatballs where he's like, suck that tear back up. And then we use that for like food prep for later. So yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Salt's pretty expensive inflation. The other day I kissed my My son, he was crying. I gave him a kiss on the cheek and I, I inadvertently swallowed some of his tears. And I was like, oh my God, is this like bad for me? Like, I never even remotely thought about like the effect that human tears have on your um, physiology, you know? It's just saline. Just
4: saline.
2: There's not like hormones in it or something. It's not like you're going to feel
4: you're not going to turn
3: into a baby or, but can you know, i get his yeah.
2: sickness like if he's got a yeah. cold can uh, i get that yeah. through
3: kissing his germs. eating his tears yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well let me suggest if you don't want to get sick from someone maybe don't
3: kiss them on the cheek oh he was crying man <laughs> i'm not i'm not criticizing you for kissing <laughs> your baby or why um, are you kissing your baby no. <laughs> anyhow cool i uh, know you got a minute to endorse something with us
4: absolutely it is my dream to do this unpaid
2: endorsement
3: I'm going to give an endorsement that probably like 70% of the people know about, but the 30% that don't know, it's like a very valuable lesson. I'm actually using it right now. And if you are on a Mac and you are getting texts in the middle of meetings in the middle of important things in the middle of podcast recordings, and someone's like blowing you up, maybe, you know, and you're trying to like text them like, Hey, I'm in a meeting. Stop texting me. Um, I used to just like always like, like right click on the text and try to like hide alerts and every time a new person would text me or a new group text would come I'd have to hide them Um, but I found out there's this feature called focus which you guys probably I'm sure both know about but at the top of your screen like to the right like right next to the date there are these two bars Mm -hmm. that have like kind of the it's like the iPhone interface that you know if you pull from the top but it's on your Mac and you can click on do not disturb and just turn off texts for like an hour and then your computer won't be blowing up while you're trying to have meetings um and i've only just discovered this like recently and it's made my meetings so much better so much better i hate but ding like the dings mm-hmm. you know like you're trying mm-hmm. to say something anyhow
2: well Focus. especially if it, like your team is like being like orin do a better yeah. job please yeah
3: Oren, don't tell them we can get the helicopter
2: yeah yeah you're like ah ah but i want the job though yeah um
4: Oren, are you kissing your baby? Get back to work! Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just on. drinking. I've just Come harvested on.
3: his tears. What's the big deal? <laughs> okay, no. What do you got? Um.
4: Okay. I have I have two movies and a TV show. I don't know do if it. I'll ever get a chance to do this again. So I'm I'm gonna do a bunch right now. Um. <laughs> so uh, the the TV show is, and this is weird. I'm not a Disney adult. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. But my my the TV show is Andor on Disney Plus. It is so good.
3: People say it's good. People say it's good. Yeah. Like,
4: and it's and weird because like... Based on
3: like a logic question, right? It's like, and, or? And, or?
4: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, that's, that was their mindset as they were writing it. Is That's how they, they did the yeah. writers. Yeah. No, like, uh, I was like a big Star Wars kid. Like, I directed like a Star Wars parody play in high school and stuff. I was like, I wore the merch. <laughs> I was like that guy. Uh, you know, all that stuff. Well, wait, but, hold
2: on. So... N- <laughs> Noah, you're young though.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm 25, yeah. How
2: many Star Wars movies had come out when you were wearing the t-shirts?
4: Yeah, so the first Star Wars movie I'd seen was like when I was little. I saw Revenge of the Sith when I was like a, like, a, like a child. The Force Awakens came out when I was in high school and that was like a big deal. <sighs> Jesus stuff. Christ. Uh, Noah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Noah, dude, I'm when
2: I was your age, <laughs> we had three Star Wars movies. <laughs> we had three. We got the reissues when I was in junior high and my friends teased me for years because this was our first chance to see star wars on a big screen and i decided to make out with a girl during part of it <sighs> my first time ever okay well they were they were kind of right they were kind of right you i can back. i can understand I'm,
4: from both perspectives but uh, it's okay yeah but when um, you're
2: saying you're oh you're a star wars kid you have many movies to be excited about
4: yeah like it was it was such a big deal especially when the force awakens came out but then like I think that one was like solid. And then I personally like The Last Jedi, which is like controversial Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then like the third one, uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker, like crushed my spirit and it made me sad walking out of the the theater. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to like Star Wars again. Like this sucks. And like, I wasn't big on The Mandalorian because like it felt kind of cartoony and not in a good way because The Clone Wars is like fucking sick. But Andor wasn't like stoked for it. And it's like amazing. It's, it's, it feels like an HBO show if that Mm -hmm, makes any sense. It's mm -hmm. like, how is this a Disney plus show? How are they like talking about mass incarceration and police brutality and militarization (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. indigenous people, oppression and genocide in like a star Wars show about like a no name background character in rogue one. But then it's like this amazing show about like everyday people having to make sacrifices to do like an armed revolution against a fascist regime Mm regime in like mm -hmm. a sci-fi show. It's like, i don't know it's super bonkers it's but it's like really good and it's like really smart and like the production design is like super good and the writing is so good uh andy circus in this last episode holy shit it's like he's, he's so good
3: and you didn't like book of boba fett or obi-wan
4: i i still haven't watched book of boba fett i've been meaning to watch it but uh, i dug uh chunks of obi-wan Where like basically where hayden and like uh him got to like be in the same room together, and they like had like the heart to heart bits and stuff. But the rest of it, it was just like it could have been better. But just because of like how good Andor is, it's just kind of like solidifying yeah, yeah, it's that. Way.
3: And do I have to watch anything else before I watch Andor?
4: I think you you could watch the prequels just to understand that like the Republic has fallen, and like there's an Empire that's like on the rise, and they're gaining power and stuff. Um, But uh, nah, you can just like watch it pretty fresh. Like it, it leads directly into Rogue One, which leads directly into A New Hope and stuff like that. Sorry, I'm going to stop talking about Star Wars because like I'm a big dork.
2: You're one with the force. No, I'm, I I'm
4: get it. one with the force. I have 17 Baby Yoda shirts in my closet. I love it. It's great. Anyway, this is turning into like a, a Star Wars podcast. Mm-hmm, There's like a mm-hmm. million of them. And my other endorsement has more to do, I guess, with the director of these two movies than like the movies themselves, but also like the inspiration that I got from the movies. The director is Cooper Rafe, and the movies are Shithouse and Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Basically, Jay Duplass mentored this dude named Cooper Rafe, who was like my age, and helped him create this movie called Shithouse. And it's pretty much a two-person rom-com. And it's like this super wholesome college love story, and I really like it a lot. So I watched that movie, and I was like, okay, well, that movie only had kind of two actors for the entire movie. What's my version of that movie? What's my two-person rom-com where it's just two people talking in a bedroom. Before Sunrise was like a big inspiration for my movie, but this movie was like, oh, this dude is directly my age. This movie is very doable, but I could do it in my own way in my hometown. While I was living in Chicago, me and some filmmaker friends got to go see an early screening of his second movie, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, and they were doing like a director Q&A afterwards. I guess I didn't know that it was like for like the Critics Film Festival in Chicago or something, but like after... The screening, they had like a private meet and greet for the critics, uh, but we were just kind of like lingering in the lobby as he was like standing around. And we just kind of accidentally snuck into this private meet and greet where all these critics were supposed to just like hang out with this dude. And we wound up just like talking to Cooper Ray for like a half hour and just asking him a million questions. He was just super cool. And it was like really uh, motivating because it was like, oh, this dude, just like a normal dude. And he made this movie. And me and my friends, we can also make a movie. So right afterwards I was like, all right, we're we're gonna do the thing, we're gonna make submarines. So overall, recap, the recommendation is watch Shithouse and just kinda of think about like, you know, what's your two person bedroom, dorm room, hometown movie? Like how can you approach that movie in your own way and in your own voice? Yeah. Yeah, buddy.
2: Awesome. Very cool. I'm gonna go with something really obtuse, you guys. Is it Star Trek? You know. Truly, I love that first J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Me too. It's so good. I saw it uh, twice in theaters in 24 hours. Anyway. Respect. Mine is, there's probably an email that you've been thinking about writing. Write that email. That's that's my endorsement. Right. Uh, I, I've been kind of like sitting on like, you know, a few ideas or like people I needed to reach out to and I didn't. Friends from the past. And I just have been on a real real bent of just like doing that stuff doing that work and uh, it's only been awesome it's 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 felt great to like get it off my like out of my brain space it's not like I'm like you know apologizing to someone or something like that I'm just saying like oh hey it's been a minute since we r- talked how are you is mostly what I've been writing Um, and it's just like been fulfilling been good for my career it's been awesome so that that's my recommendation honestly it's just like reconnect with people Send the email that you've been thinking about sending. That's my endorsement.
3: Send the email. Matt's basically saying like, respond to his email. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I find it like whenever I do like a giant burst of emails, because I Mm -hmm. have, you know, I just put the star when I need to respond to an email and I have, Mm -hmm. you know, thousands of them. Um, When I do like a big burst... Especially if I have like a down day, I find that like, oh, I'm starting so many kind of cool new conversations. You're planting seeds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're planting seeds. Personal ones,
2: emotional ones, career ones. It's all, it's all good, you know.
4: I was gonna say my anti-recommendation is if you're like a young person trying to raise money for a movie, don't spam a bunch of indie filmmakers on Twitter and through their Gmail and be sweaty and annoying. Because I think I DM'd Jim Cummings one too many times and <laughs> responded. <laughs> I think you think I'm a weirdo, but
2: it's fine. If you got Jim to not respond to you on Twitter. Oh, yeah. That's pretty impressive. You probably went a little too hard. Yeah. Jim Jim <laughs> it's, loves it's Twitter. <laughs>
4: exactly. It's okay. It's fine. We'll get him back. We'll get, it'll yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Uh, obviously, everyone can find you at Noah Bayshore. Uh, you can find our show at Just Shoot It Pod. We're across all social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Smighty Pileg. And on Instagram, I'm at O Kaplan. Uh, and I'm at Mr. Matt Enlo.
2: This episode was edited by Noah. Hi. I edited. Uh, and you're listening to. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Noah. My uh... future Noah. By future Noah.
4: It's my favorite kind of Noah. It's future Noah.
2: This episode was produced by Tyler Small. Thanks, Tyler. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye.
0: Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row. Dreaming of something better. Well.